Warning, we're going to be discussing events for currently running weekly anime. If you want to avoid spoilers for certain shows, there are timestamps in the description. Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome back to the Time Sync Anime Podcast. It is week 8 of winter 2019. I'm totally not reading off of a script right now. <laughs> in fact, if you haven't been wondering, no, this show is pretty much completely unscripted. Anyway... I'm JT, and this is Rex. I am Rex. <laughs> I am ready to record for the anime. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, guys, it's great to have you back. It's great to be back. Uh, let's Going be- off the script. <laughs> Exterminate! <laughs> oh, no! Rex, what have you done? All right. Anyway, so, enough of that. What is our news for the week? Our, our senior news anime correspondent, Rex. Uh, so we got, uh, Crunchyroll has, at least for now, removed season one of My Hero Academia and Attack on Titan due to licensing reasons from the whole Funimation Crunchyroll split. Yeah. Uh, the, the verb thing. Hmm. I'm assuming eventually they'll probably get them put back on because those are very big series that I don't think they will just let them slip away like that. But at the moment, they, they have to take them off for legal reasons. Hmm. I guess that makes sense. That's a little bizarre that it's happening right now. Like, why is why is it just those first seasons and not the uh, and not the later seasons? Because are the later seasons still on Verb and Crunchyroll? Yeah, yeah, season two and on, they're still there. Hmm. Uh, it's because just license expiring for like the first seasons, whereas they didn't have the same licensing for the new seasons. Yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. It's still a little bizarre. Licensing is a really weird market. Yeah. Kind of speaking on. On a sort of unrelated topic to the whole uh, Crunchyroll Funimation uh, partnership, that actually apparently has its own Wikipedia article now. Like the Crunchyroll thing, yeah, the like Crunchyroll Funimation partnership. Okay. Like uh, it actually was a stub in Wikipedia. Like I haven't actually looked at the article itself, but I was like scrolling through like and a Wikipedia article. I don't remember which one it was, but the Great Anime Wars of twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen. Yeah. 2017, I think. Was it 2017? Yeah. It was either late 2017 or early 2018. Hmm. Uh, so, speaking of Attack on Titan, we have the the Season 3 premiere was announced for April 28th. Yep, Season 3 Part 2, to be more yeah, specific. Yeah, yeah, Because, yeah, we decided to basically pull a Harry Potter and the, the last Harry Potter movie, anyway, and just uh, split the seasons into two parts, I guess, rather than just go to this one complete season. I don't know why they did that i mean it's basically two different seasons they just don't want to call it that it's probably for story arc reasons is what they don't want to call it a new season yeah i guess it's but i mean for all intents and purposes it is called uh season three part two which i I, i'm really excited for i as somebody who hasn't read anything in the attack of type manga and i've only been watching anime i'm kind of on i'm kind of in suspense for it because it looked like just from the ending of of the most recent season, or the first part of the yeah. third season, <laughs> um, that there's going to be something big happening. Like, for those who don't remember, it was, like, Levi, Aaron, and Mikasa all on a roof, and, like, Levi's covered in blood. Like, Oh, yeah, that was the preview. That, yeah, yeah. The that just kind of went... <laughs> that kind of staticked its way into the outro for uh, that last episode. Yep. Yeah, that was... That was foreboding. Yeah, ominous. And, uh, and, like I said earlier, the whole... Both bands... For yeah. the opening and ending, or one of them is going to do the opening, one of them is doing the ending. I wonder who it's going to be. Not not sure which which. So on a on a more serious note, for news this week, there has been certain allegations surrounding a voice actor 
if you know who he is, like, we're not going to say the name, but if you know who he is, you know who we're talking about. Yes. Sides aside, some people are picking certain sides and defending certain people. Uh, at the end of the day, the only thing we really want to say is, don't be a fucking dick. Yeah, I I understand that tensions are running high on the on this whole thing, but at the end of the day, yes, we need to be civil about this. We need to not send not send death threats or harass people. That's yeah. not going to solve the problem. <laughs> it's just going to make it worse. This is a huge debacle. The only reason why we're bringing it up now is just because. Well, we didn't really want to, we wanted to kind of not talk about it for a while because we didn't really know how to approach it, I guess. So yeah, it's just, just don't be a dick. Yeah. Don't <laughs> just, just cause even if you disagree with someone's opinion, uh, that doesn't mean you should uh, attack them over that, over it. Just, I don't know any other way to put it other than don't be a dick. <laughs> I, so you're asking, so you're almost from the anime community, you're almost asking the impossible. These are people that like to get, uh, that like to like to be dicks over somebody's waifus yeah. or shit taste, but uh, but in all seriousness, yes, please just try to be civil about this. Remember, there are people on the other side of those computer screens. All right. Now, enough of uh, enough of being preachy. Let's get right into what everybody is here for. The shows for this week. So, let's drop anchor and settle in for for settle in for a nice long chat. So, first off, Boogie Pop and others. Finally, the end of the arc. Finally, and the... but let's let's throw something out there first. The uh, the next arc, I guess, decided to also like be thrown up on oh, pretty yeah. much the same day. Like there are five episodes like a Boogie Pop and others this week, so that would actually put us at about episode twelve, I think, like that have been released so far, and they're supposed to be eighteen. So yeah, but we're not we're, we're not going to talk about the remaining. <laughs> we're not going to talk about the four episodes that have come out. We'll probably. We'll try to find a way to talk about them in a future episode. Probably next week will just yeah. be a long talk about Boogie Pop. Yeah, probably. We'll try to... <laughs> so, but this week... We're the end of the of Boogie Pop versus Imaginator. So, I am a little... A little bit confused about the Imaginator. Because, like, it seems... Boogie Pop was there to stop the Imaginator. Mm -hmm. And as soon as imagine the Imaginator... As soon as Jin lost his ambitions... To, you know, like, I, make the world take a chill pill, Pretty for lack much. of a better explanation. Uh, the, the Imaginator just kind of was like, I guess I'm gone now. Yeah, and you had thought, like, I'm not entirely sure. Like, I was almost convinced that Jin just fell out the window. Like, I don't think the Imaginator tried to, like, push him out or there anything There was a like huge, that. like, magical gust of wind yeah. that, like, pushed him out. I don't know if that was... I don't know if the Imaginator was really trying to kill them, uh, to kill Jin, though. It's uh, I think they were. You think so? Yeah, because I, th I think they they realized that Jin wasn't correct for their ideals. Mm. Uh, so the Imaginator was like, oh, well, let's just erase the slate, disappear for now, and find someone else later on. I guess. Like, I agree. And it acknowledged something very interesting when it was talking with Misaki, who showed, who showed up this episode. And was that was actually a pretty interesting, pretty interesting bit. It was like I, you're strong, Masaki. I'm reminded. I'm reminded every time that I disappear that someday I'll be able to break through because when I see someone strong like you, it kind of makes me wonder. Like obviously, this has sort of been a cyclical thing. Like the Imaginator will just periodically show up. 
Mm-hmm. Like, it's been pretty much established that this is a, ba- a being similar to Boogie Pop in that yeah, it will just periodically show up. Yeah, the Imaginator shows up, and where the Imaginator shows up, it looks like Boogie Pop shows up. Yeah. This whole, like, first bit when uh, when Orihata was, like, on the phone with uh, Misaki, I actually thought it was kind of sad and that she was just trying to tell her tell him to get away. So yeah, that's she was it. just trying to keep him safe. Yeah, she because he told her because he told her he loved her. Like and like that actually made her like kind of take a pause and just say, No, you need to get away from me. Like, you're gonna get hurt. And of course he almost does. Oh shit, I've been attacked by mascots. <laughs> <laughs> like Yeah, I guess uh the like sp- uh, not spooky, uh Jin realizes like, oh he can kick people's asses. Let's just put him in big padded suits. So they can't get hurt. Yeah. But then also I hope for anybody who was watching this episode, they're not afraid of clowns. Because oh holy shit, are there a lot of clowns? Yeah. And they're everywhere, freak, and they're freaky looking clowns. Like, yeah, they're like Pennywise ass looking clowns. Yeah, I'm not afraid of clowns. They, I'm like, okay, you're creepy. Yeah. Like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming they injected him with like a, a sedative. Yeah, I'm probably what that was. What that was. Yeah, yeah but... I at first thought it was going to be like some kind of mind control drug. Mm-hmm. But yeah. then I realized, yeah, Jin doesn't need that. Yeah, Jin doesn't do that. Yeah. And then I think it was, I thought it was really cool how like all these uh, plot threads and characters all kind of converged on the same place in a pretty organic way, I think, because Misaki wanted to go because Orihata was there. And the way he figured out that Orihata was in that building was actually pretty cool. Did you catch it? Yeah, the plane. Yeah, like because he, he heard the plane in the background on the phone and just happened to look in the direction of the plane. I thought yeah. that was a pretty clever little detail. So that's why he had it that way. Suema wanted to go because she knew uh, what Kinukawa was talking about and Paisley Park had been brought to her attention before. And then Boogie Pop went there because Suema told Toka, which since they're the same person, of course they're all, they're gonna, they're going to want to go there as well. Yeah, Boogie Pop is always along for the ride. Yeah, exactly. I just thought it was a pretty cool little way that they got all those characters in the same place. It was, I think, a pretty clever way uh, pretty clever writing device there yeah, it's very very well written um, and then of course the boogie pop scene the action was, scene yeah it was short and sweet but yeah. it was awesome i, I love uh, boogie pop's fighting style of just using wires yeah using wires and the way and it was actually pretty clever it was started counting down we didn't know why it was counting down until the music started playing yeah <laughs> and then gene pointed out it's like music throws people off their balance and that's what caused, uh, so it was like Boogie Pop had kind of planned it. Why was the electricity running just because Boogie Pop was there? I have no idea. Because he said the electricity was supposed to be off in the park. Who knows, Boogie Pop's been doing tons of stuff off screen this entire show. Yeah, we, yeah, exactly. Boogie Pop just kind of shows up exactly. whenever it like, needs to. Like, I don't think that Boogie Pop can, like, teleport around anywhere. I think it's just that, like, from... From the viewpoint of the audience, we just don't see what she's doing all the time, or what, mm-hmm. he, what it's doing all the time. Yeah. And it's always just kind of using Toka as a vessel to do what it needs to. Which Toka seems fine with it. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, the further, we're, the more information we're getting uh, about Toka and Boogie Pop, and the more we see like the kind of slipping in and out of conversations, mm-hmm. it, it almost seems like Toka's aware of everything. I think I talked about this last week. Yeah, we did. Like, just how, like, it sort of said, you should, uh, you should rely on your friends more. And then it goes back to, like, uh, yeah. to, uh, Toka, like, nothing was happening. I don't know, like, maybe this was something that was addressed in Boogie Pop Phantom, the original series. Yeah. Like, so, 
This definitely makes me want to watch that because I'm enjoying the hell out of Boogie Pop. Yeah, I I really want uh, Masaki and uh, Orihata to just be yeah normal high schoolers now and you know, yeah have, have a normal life, have a normal relationship. Uh, I'm a little worried that the Toho organization is going to come after Orihata. Yeah, because because she's she's, she's she, they made her. I think she's like yeah. an artificial human. Yeah, she's an artificial human, which that comes up uh, in the confrontation between uh, Boogie Pop and Jean, which that mm-hmm. was just an awesome confrontation because that whole confrontation. Was just Boogie Pop taunting Gene the whole time. Yeah, knowing that none of what he was going to do was going to do anything. Yeah, the sort of, like, just outplayed him. And plus, Gene freaking snapped when he realized that uh, Boogie Pop's heart was just a black void. There wasn't a flower in it or anything. Yeah, I'm I'm a little curious about what's in the canisters. Yeah. I'm assuming it was some kind of, like, poison that was going to shoot over the whole city or something. Maybe. Because, um... Spooky E was talking about like, well, if this doesn't if this doesn't work, I can always just use this. Yeah, exactly. the The other really cool thing is once again the psychology in the show is outstanding. Like when uh, when Boogie Pop kind of reveals to uh, Masaki that he had been brainwashed by a uh, by Spooky E, and then he she just kind of says, "Are you sure you've done anything of your free will up to this point?" Like because living in like, trying to make yourself live up to societal expectations is essentially a form of brainwashing in and of itself. So can you really say you've done anything of your own free will <laughs> at this point? Which I thought was fascinating. And then the real reason why it's revealed that Jean couldn't hurt uh, Orihata wasn't because she wasn't human, as it turns out. The way that Boogie Pop explained it was because her heart had changed. So basically it was the power of love had changed. <laughs> the power of love had made it so that she couldn't get hurt. <laughs> Is what it seems like, because your heart, our hearts change through communication with other people. Really, who's the only person that she had an impact with was uh, Misaki and her mm-hmm. interactions yeah. with him. So, power of love saved the day once again. So, next up is Dororo. Yeah, yeah the, the spider. Jir, Jirai, yeah. Jirai Gumo? Yeah, something like Jirai that. Jirai Gumo? I think Jirai Gumo is the is name a of Yu- Yu-Gi-Oh card. Yeah, yeah, which <laughs> I wonder if that's just a mistranslation or if this is like a popular thing. It's because I was thinking about that, like the something, the Jirai Gumo silk spider. I was like, isn't that just a popular Japanese myth? A mythological creature or something? Yeah, I was thinking that... Uh, Sounds familiar. Yeah, like I thought it was the myth of like the, uh, like a spider let a dangled the thread down into hell, like, offering one person to go up, and then he started to climb up, then everybody started to follow him once they saw the thread, and then he just started gradually kicking people down. Yeah. And eventually the thread breaks, so nobody got out. Or, I don't remember. I mean, that that sounds interesting. I might go check it out. Yeah. Uh, But this episode served as a, a pretty interesting analogy for, like, just because you're a monster doesn't mean you're the monster. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And... This whole this whole thing also just served as a nice little uh, breather, I guess, from the traumatic events of the last episode. Uh, yeah, yeah. This this episode was a lot more uplifting. Yeah, uh, uplifting and lighthearted because, like, by the end, um, we learned that the the spider demon never actually killed anybody. Yeah, uh, just, just ended up like sucking some of their life force out and then letting them go back. Yeah. Because it ain't even acknowledged, like, we drain, I'll drain some of their life force, but it'll regenerate eventually. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it was pretty interesting seeing how ghouls and humans can actually kind of coexist in a somewhat beneficial relationship. Or, like, because 
the spider isn't really a parasite, or it kind of is. It's a parasite. It is, but it's not really hurting anybody. Like, it's clearly benefiting, but it isn't complete, it isn't ridiculously hurtful. Yeah, to it's just, person. it's minorly inconveniencing people that it, yeah. Uh, like, I'm assuming that uh, she, like, sucks some of their life force out. They stumble on home. She, like, seduces them somehow. Yeah, because we saw that in the beginning. The whole, ah, oh, get a room! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think she seduces them. Uh, maybe even gives them some kind of, like, fun time in their head or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then sends them on their way, and they probably just, you know, wake up in the forest with a headache or something. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know if you noticed this. This is kind of like a little, uh, little tangent, but did you ever notice, like, something clever with the sound design anytime you hear Hyakimaru walking? If you listen carefully, you can actually hear his peg leg hitting the ground. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's it's kind of subtle, but he does have, like, a kind of clanking wood against the ground, which makes sense because he's got a prosthetic leg. Yeah, I just thought that was that. a... Yeah, I just noticed it uh, while watching it again, but this entire episode was all about, like, there's a kidnapper here. There's a kidnapper here in this oh, village. Yeah. Surprise, ancient Japanese underground railroad. <laughs> exactly! Because... Because it turns out that this village just did, like its village lord, did not give a rat's ass about anybody in the village. It was a quarry village, so it made people basically work to death. Yep. Like, and they actually had people, like, ferrying out. Like, they had one person ferrying out this, these guys in secret. It's and really the whole, cool, dude. And the whole time, like, they're kind of giving you, like, little hints revealing the idea. The first big one was when Hiyakimaru was just kind of staring at Yajiro, the guy who actually turns out. Because I thought it was like, they kind of paused on that shot for just a little too long. <laughs> it just seemed like, hmm, did Hiyakimaru notice something we didn't? And it turns out, yeah, they did. Because, and then like everybody's all saying, it's like, don't worry, no man in this village is ever going to sell that guy out. Yeah. So the, it's like, it's beneficial. Like nobody's actually getting hurt. Which yeah, I was the cool. writing in this episode is really cool. It, it did a very good job of subverting your expectations. It slowly tried to get you thinking that the spider was the one who was kidnapping people and killing people. Yeah. Uh, kind of through the perspective of Dorodo and, uh, to, a lesser, to a lesser extent, Hyakimaru. But, yeah, like you said earlier, it, it turns out that the guy was the one who was quote-unquote kidnapping people. When that, in reality, which, he was helping them yeah, escape. that was probably a cover that was being made, like, by a, by the village as a whole. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, they just didn't want anyone to know about that guy. Which, mm-hmm. in the end, they ended up learning about him and there might be some negative you know, repercussions about that. After he leaves, I'm assuming there probably will be. Mm-hmm. But it was a it was a sweet little ending. Yeah, it's actually kind of an interesting parallel because like because Ohagi, the name of the spider demon that Yajiro gave her, gave her, and the um uh, and uh, Hyakimaru had a fight, but then but then Yajiro got wounded by these uh, by the samurai. Told him no, don't hurt her, just let her escape. And it kind of caused Hyakimaru to not kill her like he noticed something change yeah he's a lot more perceptive than he was before yeah so because when when the spider was like kind of lashing out at the men at the samurai her uh, aura was like bright red yeah and then and then when she leaned down to hug uh yajiro like her aura turned to a gray and hakimoto realized like okay maybe she's not yeah which it's an interesting thing from dodoro because later he said it's a good thing your hearing came back or else that would have ended really awkwardly (laughs) but then i kind of think about it it's like no that's not entirely true i think he would have noticed noticed it yeah he would have noticed something even without his hearing i think but i think it's because of his hearing that he was able to kind of discern differences 
Which, it's actually kind of cool, but even now he's sort of learned... Like, he hasn't spoken yet, but he still does little signs to Dodoro. Like, he, uh, like when Dodoro was talking, he covered his... Like, he covered his own mouth and then put his hand to his ear, basically yeah. saying, Hey, listen. <laughs> like, stop talking and listen. That was just a nice little detail. And it was a nice little parallel, as I was saying, that Hyakimaru didn't kill the spider demon. And then Dodoro didn't kill a spider that bit him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just a nice little parallel. It's like, I'm, it's like you're right. I'm sorry I scared you. Go on, get out of here. Yeah, and then, then they just, they go on their merry way. Yeah, like, Hyakimaru just kind of chuckles a little bit. Just like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he actually laughs at him. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that was actually him laughing or just him laughing at this, like, at Dodro or just laughing at the situation, the sort of, like, I'm kind of proud at you sort of laugh. Just oh, like I think that. he was just chuckling. Just a funny situation. Yeah. It was a, yeah, it was, a, it was a nice episode. Yeah, it really was. It was certainly... It my heart after yeah. last episode. Oh, God, last episode. It's, Mio, you're only around for two episodes, but I'm going to miss you. I'm pretty sure is going to miss you, too. Next up, Jojo Golden Wind. The boss has very specific instructions. Oh my god, yeah. Like, it's like, you have to go, it's like, you have to go in this boat, you have to, uh, it's like, you have to re- get to the island 15 minutes after you retrieve the disc. You can only get, uh, and once you arrive, there will be a man in a yellow poncho. His name is Hank. He'll get, <laughs> hand off the disc. They don't really go into that detail, but it's, it's pretty much like that. Like, and he's, he's a very careful man. Very careful. And... The cool thing about this is the whole time we're just kind of seeing Trish, like the camera work and stuff is like panning on her and she just looks kind of like uncertain, hasn't, doesn't really say anything. The first thing that she says is when she's getting ready to meet her dad and basically says, what's going to happen to me? Like she finally just breaks down in front of Bucciarati, like saying something's going to happen. I know it is. Yeah, it's, it's interesting seeing how much faith Bucciarati had in the boss. Yeah. Immediately subverted by like, I fucking knew it. He did this. <laughs> like, like I, f- I feel like that was a little bit of a jump. Yeah. Like, I, I, in my, if I was in his shoes, my first thought would have been, oh, someone from the team that was following us probably attacked Trish when I was in the elevator. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have f- immediately thought, oh yes, the boss that I pledged my loyalty to. Yeah. And just a moment ago, I gave a speech to Trish about. Oh, don't worry. He's going to take you to a nice faraway place. Yeah. You're going to be comfortable. Then immediately he's just like, ah, that fucking boss. I always knew he was a piece of shit traitor. Which it turns out, which it turns out that, yes, like, it turns out that we find out a little bit about Bucciarati's backstory here and why he hates drugs so much and why he was going on basically a crusade against them. It's because he finds out that the boss is involved in the drugs that he hated so much. Like, which, can we, a little bit about Bucciarati's backstory his mom is a very manipulative person. Like, you want to live with me, yeah. don't you? Well, here, here's a, we want you to choose between who to live with. But live with me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, just obviously trying to prod him. Like, I mean, like, it's probably easier to understand their position if you've ever been in it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've never had kids. Yeah. And, and, I, and let alone split from my... Like, I get it. Like, I mean, I get, like, her her wanting her son to live with her. That's fine. I understand that. But at the same time, it just felt she was prodding a little too hard. It was a little too (laughs) on the nose. I think she probably, like, expected him. Yeah, exactly. And I think even his father expected him to, which... Because he was completely shocked when it happened. Yeah. But basically what happens is Bucciarati's dad gets shot, somehow doesn't die. He's very lucky, I guess. And then, uh... 
by two guys who were trying to commit a drug deal, which these guys were shady looking as fuck. Yeah. Like I was, I saw them and just like, listened to the way they talked. They had clearly that sort of gangster like sound about them, like kind of low class. And I was just thinking, it's like, yeah, these guys aren't suspicious at all, which, Oh, lo and behold, they tried to kill him. Yeah. I, the, the way that Bushirati defended his dad was so brutal. It was like, brutal. He stabbed the guy in the chest and then dragged the knife up to, like, his mouth. Yeah, just... And then he just immediately pulled the knife out while the other guy was still surprised and just... Yeah, right. Stabbed yeah. him right... And he was 12. He was yeah. 12 when he killed two people. And then he decided, well, how, hey... How old was uh, Misaka in Attack on Titan? Was he, like, six or something? I... You know, that's a that's a very good point. I hadn't. Even <laughs> I mean, she had like superpowers, but whatever. Well, whatever. <laughs> I think it's kind of, uh, and it's kind of sad actually. Like that, uh, we because Bucciarati finds out that his dad died like after five years, which from complications from his wounds. You know, he was in a hospital for five years and suddenly died of complications. I kind of listening to that. I got to call bullshit. Well, it was probably a he was slowly dying over time thing, not like oh, not the doctors were like, "Oh, you're healthy." Uh, just kidding, you're dead. I think it was probably like he's got worse day I, by day. I was thinking that uh I was he mean which probably meant that he was in a coma for 5 years roughly. No, cuz he was like Talking to his son, I think, every once in a while. I mean, you'd think that after five years, he would have gotten slightly better. I mean, so it makes me think that maybe the boss had him killed or something like that. Like, and it's just something we don't know about. And I want to say, what is Araki's obsession with women's severed hands? This is the second time we've seen something like this. I mean, you can really call it an obsession when it's only the second time. I mean, it's because it's just kind of hilarious. It's like, that was Kira's calling card in, uh... In Diamonds Unbreakable, and the boss just kind of severed away his um, Trish's hand. Oh, yeah, but he wasn't like making love with a hand. He, it was it was like a his tool to get her out without alerting Bujarati. Which uh, that was actually a really good shot. Like because like he was holding her hand, and he's just like, "Hey, we're almost at the top," and then it just kind of cuts back to him, and she's just gone. Yeah. I was like, "Oh shit!" Well, so, we gotta talk about the boss's stand really quick. Uh, what was it called? Uh, King Crimson? King Crimson, yeah. So, or Emperor uh, Crimson in the subtitles. King Crimson is a uh, British rock band that was apparently pretty big around their time. Yeah. I didn't really recognize any of their music. Mm-hmm. But his stand, I guess, lets him... Perceive the future, is what it seems like. Kind of manipulate, and sort of like understand the future and able to kind of show people the future. Is what it seems like. So, it's weird, because he... So, Bucciarati attacked what he thought was the boss. Mm Mm-hmm. Turned out that he attacked himself. I guess maybe the boss, like, picked him up and moved him over. Like, uh, like, flashback to Dio when (laughs) the ref was walking up the stairs. Yeah, and and just repeatedly going back down. Yeah. Um, we should talk about that just for a quick second. How much time and effort that Dio would have had to put into that? Yeah, so, like, grabbing him, walking down the stairs, putting him down, just, walking back up, getting back in his smug pose. Just yeah, just to <laughs> prove a point. It's like it seems like Iraqi just likes to have villains who have time manipulation powers because because yes. Dio had the ability to stop time, Kira had the ability to reverse time, and it seems that uh, the boss has the ability to see the future or kind of alter the future. Because yeah. he knew that Bucciarati was also going to attack him, like, and betray him. Bef- like, it's like, hey, 
it's like, hey, you might want to just go home, Bruno Bucciarotti, because I know you're behind that pillar. So it's almost like he can kind of just see the future. So it's, I don't really know exactly what his stand power is. It's bizarre, but it definitely involves, like, I imagine foresight. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll get more about that next episode. Because yeah. I'm pretty sure next episode is probably going to be the end of this arc. Yeah. I imagine so. The I want to point out something that I thought was kind of interesting. Or something that feels a little bit bizarre to me. Like, the boss doesn't want his identity to be revealed. That much is obvious. So, he wants to kill... And he wants to kill his daughter so he can cover up his tracks. It just makes me wonder... Why didn't he just kill his daughter in the first place? Like, or just let the, or just let the hitman team kill her? I don't think he wants to kill her. You don't think so? No, because you. I mean, it's pretty, like you just said. It's pretty obvious he could have just let her die. Mm-hmm. But he went. He went to all this effort to get his daughter to him. Yeah. So I'm sure he has a plan for her other than to kill her. If I had to make, if I had to make an assumption out of, uh, out of like the clues in the intro, it probably has something to do with like he needs like a new host for his body or something like that. Maybe, yeah. Because like if you look in the um, uh, the OP and you see her in the cloak that he wears, so it makes me wonder if that's just supposed to be like a slight nod to that or something. Yeah, I I don't could know. Be, could be a thing, but because obviously like he could have killed her when she was in the elevator. Yeah, also he... instead of taking her with him. Still yeah, alive. it's it's bizarre. And the episode ends with Bucciarati getting impaled through the chest. Giorno can fix that. Yeah, Giorno can fix that. If, if he's there pain- in time. <laughs> yeah, albeit rather painfully. Also, we just figure out more and more of how, like, uh, sticky fingers. I almost called it Zipper Man. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you, subtitle. Sticky fingers. Yeah. I hit a cell phone in my face, motherfucker. Oh, yeah. Didn't expect that. <laughs> I wasn't either. Like, I can hide stuff in my face. I wasn't expecting that at all. Like, cheat so much on tests. Yeah, just go. I hit the answers with my pinky finger. Just, yeah, and just kind of like occasionally just like look at your pinky or kind of like go when you're thinking. Just <laughs> and hide like little slips of paper like all over your hand. So next week, will Giorno save Bucciarati? Who knows? In the next exciting episode of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Golden Wind. Uh, so next up is Kaguya-sama, Love is War. <laughs> got the return of Love Detective Chica. Yay! Like, I saw that in the uh, in the thumbnail for this episode. I'm like, oh yay, Love Detective <laughs> Chica's back! And she only shows up for like 30 seconds because it turns out the case she's on is really stupid. Because Yuki is... Is an incompetent buffoon. Sometimes. I was going to say he's a workaholic. Yeah. <laughs> get a job! Yeah, I just love the get a job! Get a fucking job! <laughs> I love how each time, like the first time, it's just like get a job, and the second time, like you see, like the like the fires start to show up, and then the third time, it's like getting like it's like he lights the desk on fire, like a, a thermometer explodes, <laughs> like it just intensity is growing so much, and I think it was funny when because uh, this is Kashiwagi's boyfriend again, like the couple that we've seen happen. Yep. Uh, Go to advice for the student council on a couple occasions. This marks time number three. I guess you just need to hammer in a joke. The whole deal is he wants to hold hands. Again, we're kind of getting to some uh, Oremonogatari sort of stuff. Like, I just want to hold his hands <laughs> stuff. But yeah. So lewd. <laughs> exactly. But uh, the whole thing is, it's like, well, what you need to do is you need to rent a crew. You need to rent a cruiser. Oh. 
You need to rent a cruiser. Why? He's not even rich. No, he isn't. Like, why would he suggest renting a cruiser? Renting a cruiser, and as you're looking out over the sunset, and looking out over the sunset, you take her hand, or you kind of accidentally, on purpose, brush against her hand. Yeah. Why do you even need a cruiser for that? I feel like you could just do that. Okagi is certainly is smitten with the idea. Oh, it's like that's yeah. just the kind of person he is. Which hilarious little bit when you see like the two of them talking, you just see like Kagi's head just go whoop. Yeah, kind just, of appear like, just like last time. Yeah. yeah, just in the background, it just kind of appears, and then they zoom in on her face. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then Love Detective Chica shows up, and he's like, like uh, "No, just do this." It's like, couldn't you just take her by <laughs> the hand? What's coming up the works? Like, why is this a problem? Like, it really isn't an issue. Uh, I think my favorite part of this episode was. What's his name? Ishigami. I- Ishigami, yeah, and he's sitting on the couch talking about Kaguya and Chika. Oh, and how, like no. their boob, di- different boob sizes. Yeah, because uh, the whole thing with uh, Ishigami is that he's wanting to cut budgets for the uh, for the sports teams, and it's just like, well, most of the sports teams have girlfriends. <laughs> like most of the members have girlfriends. It's like that's your reason, and it turns out he's actually got a reason that is spiteful but kind of makes sense like if you've got a girlfriend spend time with her why are you wasting so much time he's not saying that that to make the couples happier he's saying that like how dare you have a girlfriend and not spend time with your girlfriend like i'm so pathetic and sad i don't even have a girlfriend (laughs) yeah i'm there's no noble reasons behind it i it's it's still kind of funny and it puts him in a somewhat justifiable light but no he at the end of the day it's he's like well you know you could always join one of these clubs and he that's when he finds out that uh kagi is in the japanese archery club yeah that's my my favorite part of the episode is when they they slowly like sneak up behind him yeah like the the thing about it is like he like points out like uh it's like that's perfect for kaguya because of her tiny boob size and then like as he's talking more and more of the room just like it's kind of just him on the couch and the white background and then elements of the room just keep getting added in the more he's talking with Kaguya showing up in one of the frames I'm like oh shit and yeah, then I, I loved uh, the just uh, Miyuki being like no no dude, it's like, stop, it's like stop, stop. Ishigami it's stop. like hit the brakes hit the brakes <laughs> <laughs> it's like stop talking <laughs> and then see, Chica uh... show and then Chica shows up and and then he finally realizes that the two of them are behind him. Chica goes over, folds a newspaper, puts some red tape around it, has a happy smile yeah, on his the, face. The whole time was she's making it, she's just smiling. And then she proceeds to go, <laughs> Just beat him over the head with a freaking Harrison. He deserved it. No, he did. He totally did. And then he's all like... And then uh, Kaguya said something to the effect of, Don't worry, Chica's kind and she'll forgive you. She'll be the only one who forgives you, though. And it's revealed, it's like, I'm going to go home and write my will. <laughs> yeah, I, I love every time uh, Miyuki has to say, don't die. Yeah. <laughs> but don't die, though. Like, yeah, it's okay. like, okay, fine, just don't die. Like, I like how that's a running joke. Like, he always finds some convoluted or reason that kind of makes sense for him to want to go home. It just seems like that's the running joke of the epi- like of the series now with Ishigami. And we find out in no unsubtle terms that, uh, that Ishigami is a boob guy. It's like, I spent a good life thinking about big ones and small ones. <laughs> That's what he said when he was walking down the hall. It's like, oh, it's curious what he was talking he's, about there. Uh, he's, he's trying his best, I guess. I guess, but he's not. He's <laughs> so awkward. He is so awkward. I thought I was bad, but no, that takes yeah. it to a whole new level. And then we get introduced to the 
one of the better parts of the episode as well. The Kaguya having the mind of a child. <laughs> you know, I didn't expect to hear Chika say wiener so, so many, many times. Yeah, which I want to point out. So it was hilarious the first time she said it. Like, and then Kaguya started laughing. Like, it just shows, like, a close-up of Chika's face. Like, and she was just kind of looking at Kaguya. And it makes me wonder if she was sizing up the situation. Like, hmm, that kind of makes her laugh. I think that made her laugh. Let's try that again. Oh, like you, she for was, sure she was. Yeah, she was testing the waters, for sure. She's an evil genius. Yeah, Chika really is, like, just... Is probably, like, the mastermind of this show. Like... <laughs> It's hilarious to think about because she's not the smartest person in the school, mm-hmm. but she is way more perceptive than anybody gives her credit for. Yeah, but uh, yeah, this whole skit is just adorable seeing Kagi bust up laughing over every time she says the word wiener. Yeah, and then uh, and then her try- it's like, don't say that in front of a boy. Don't worry, I would never say that <laughs> out of my own mouth. <laughs> that fucking smug look on her face. Yeah, and her basically trying to get... Uh, she um uh, shiragane to say wiener like what is a dachshund like what is another word for a dachshund <laughs> and then basically her it ends with shiragane running out of the room thinking that the two of them are nymphomaniacs <laughs> next up is the magnificent kotobuki dodo noises are freaky as shit apparently oh yeah jesus yeah because <laughs> <laughs> Like, you could probably replace that with, like, a a screaming goat or whatever, and it would get the same point across, because that's how we start the episode, just Captain Dodo screaming at, um, uh, at Chica, just, like, screaming at her little, uh, doll that she bought. Yeah, eat it or murder it, or something Uh, of that nature. So, this episode is a good example of how to do flashbacks right, Yeah, in my opinion, because you, you have to make it part of the episode, and you also have to earn it. So they, you have to pretty much write the episode around a flashback. Yeah, exactly. To, to make it done right. And that, that's what they did pretty well in this episode. With uh, pretty much having her crash, having her be stranded out in the middle of nowhere, which allowed a good a good time to tell her backstory. Yeah, like a, it was it was her just kind of, kind, kind of reflecting because it turns out that this... And it fit because the place where she crashed was like a pilot training ground that she was familiar with as well and had known about her... Uh, pretty much mentor Mm -hmm. um old sab i believe his name was oh yeah yeah um and i thought you i would get to see the way they meet is kind of funny because he's just laying around on the ground it's like are you dead (laughs) i thought i'd get to see my first real corpse suddenly we're in stand by me (laughs) just start poking and poking the dead body yeah exactly (laughs) um and so so what's the deal i want to know what the deal with is is with the, the person she was chasing Mm-hmm. Because it definitely seems like it's a personal grudge. Like yeah, somebody she knows because somebody... every time she sees that symbol. Yeah, or at least she knows the symbol. I mean, it partly makes me wonder if that's old Sab in the other plane. Yeah, maybe. Like, like maybe, like because interesting thing about that dogfight when she started chase when she started chasing the pl- other plane and it managed to get behind her the first time, it didn't shoot. It didn't shoot at her when yeah, it easily it was, could have. It was like, definitely somebody who didn't want to hurt her. But then later, when it got an opportunity to just hit her engine, it didn't hesitate, and it just shot her engine. Yeah. It seemed like that was a little too calculated. Exactly, and the whole part after she woke up where she was like, oh, my plane's here, mm-hmm. and I'm fine. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, like, somehow that person probably helped her after she crashed. Yeah, it's like, why did my... It's like, it's like, huh, my la- it's like my landing gears deployed. Was that just muscle reflex? It, which it very easily could have been. She could have, like, blacked out or something out of, like, yeah. panic. And, but then it just... But then muscle reflexes just took over. I I think that the only problem, really, as far as, like, exposition... Because it was in character for Kelia to just kind of be talking with herself. Because she is kind of quirky and kind of bizarre. Just kind of talking with herself and really keeping herself company at this point. Because she's alone. The only problem was uh, when she was getting ready to fix her engine and she needed to use her scarf. She's like, hmm, Rayona oh, gave... Yeah. yeah, the whole, Rayona gave me this scarf. Sorry I had to use it, but thank you. It was like, yeah, I remember thinking that it, it would have been much better if he, she would have just said, sorry, Rihanna. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, it was a little kind of clumsy writing. Yeah, there. exactly. It was a little clumsy. Old Sab is really just a, he's like your stereotypical grumpy old man, but he's still enjoyable to watch. Yeah, uh, like if this were a live action movie, he'd be played by, um, what's his name? Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he kind of does have that sort of Clint Eastwood vibe, I guess. But it was just kind of... It was just kind of funny just seeing her just kind of following him around. And it, she was basically like she was basically like his granddaughter or something like that. But then we get a little bit of info about this world, like how uh, how he how old Sab was from a country, I guess, that had built planes in the first place, like and then brought factories to where this to this other country where Kelia and all of them live. Uh, Yufang, I believe, is the name of the country that um, Saab is originally from, and Ijitsu is the name of another of the country that this takes place in. Yeah, I, he, we know that old Saab uh, helped a, a group research and develop planes, mm-hmm. and then they wanted he, and he wanted out of it, but they you know chased him out, chased after him to bring him back. So he decided that it's better off to instead of getting everyone else caught up in his problems. Is better off to just set fire to his house and leave. Yeah, which made Kelia very upset. But then she sort of like it was a kind of nice little gesture. Like later when she was a when she just kind of put a rock in front of the tree that he'd burned down and just basically said, "Well, I'll, hopefully I'll see you soon." So I didn't really. I, I just had a thought. I didn't really go back and check, but maybe the plane that Sab was flying around in the plane he left in. Maybe that had the symbol on it. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I'll have to go back and check probably after this. No, I think it, um, uh, I think it actually had the same symbol, uh, that Kelia has on her plane, actually. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. I think so. It has, like, a little, like, red bird-looking thing. Yeah, it's, it's, I didn't notice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, another cool thing during the dogfight, it was just a, it was a nice little, uh, bit of detail when it showed, like, the cable that was, like, holding her, uh, plane. You, like, you hear, like, the tension in it kind of building up the twangs in mm-hmm. it. Like, just from the wind. It was just a nice, cool little detail. I really yeah. liked it. Overall, I think this episode did a really good job of showing that this show can take itself a little more seriously. Yeah. Like the, the author is is pretty 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 good writer, because most of the shows so far has just been, like like we said before, there's a lighthearted kind of romp mm-hmm. through this world. But now we're getting a little bit more detail of kind of the darker side of things. Yeah. Not, not like... Not like edgy. Yeah, we're not getting into like grim dark. Just just kind of more realistic. Yeah, like there are some dramatic parts, and that's totally cool. Mm -hmm. Um, We did also get a little bit of insight into why uh, Julia is the way she is. I think because uh, because of the whole like like Keeley is asking, it's like, are they really going to make people like only allow certain people to fly and decide who gets licenses and stuff like that? It seems that Julia just wants 
She's the, she's this world's equivalent of a libertarian. She doesn't want, she wants absolutely free enterprise to do what she wants in the mm-hmm. sky. And she doesn't want like any government regulations telling her what to do. It seems like she's just that kind of person. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I, I was worried that uh, Kelia, I was worried in the beginning that Kelia was going to end up chasing after this person, crash, and then lose all of the money they got for that job. Oh, no, but she brought all the money. <laughs> which, yeah, yeah. again, she paid her a lot. They She paid them a lot of money. And even, and I, she said a line, it's like, I'd never deny somebody a chance to call me wicked, but I'll, but I'll never let anybody call me stingy. Yeah. I thought that was just a. Yeah, funny I, I begrudgingly line. like her. Yeah, uh, like Julia, the character. Because yeah, she's she keeps her word. Yeah, say that. she's she's a bitch, but at least she's aware of that fact. She's an honest bitch. Exactly. <laughs> she's a good business lady. So next up is Mob Psycho One Hundred. Good to see two. <laughs> yeah, Mob Psycho One Hundred Two. Uh, yep. <laughs> Reagan is Reagan is really just a good guy. Yeah, that that <laughs> the ending li- hit me so hard. Yeah, that line, that line really was that was actually just kind of like oof. Yeah, it was a combination of the the results of what happened before, the music, mm-hmm. the voice acting delivery. Yeah, and just like kind of the animation shots. Yeah, Reagan's face. Yeah, just like at first when he asked because this whole the whole thing was have you always it's like how long have you known about me? What mm-hmm. I really am. It's like I've always, it's like, I've always known that my master is a genuinely good guy. Which I think in that statement, I think Mob does know that Reagan doesn't have psychic powers. Yeah. Probably. I imagine, I imagine he's probably figured it out by now. Yeah, because I wouldn't say that Mob is always the most, is always the most perceptive when it comes to certain things, but I think just with his interactions, he probably might have picked something up at this point, but also sees Reagan as a good enough teacher that he's wanted to stick around. Yeah. Like... Because that was the other big thing. Like, this was another example of a flashback done well, I think, when you finally realize, like, how Mob and Reagan actually met each other for the first time. I, th- I thought we'd seen that before. I, I think we... I could swear I remember seeing that scene before. I think we saw... Well... It was in the I, first season, I think. Yeah, I think, but before, that was from Mob's perspective. Here we saw Reagan's perspective of it, and kind of what that meant to him as a person, I think. Because Reagan was talking about how he was about ready to give up that whole consultation business because he just, Reagan is a person who never can seem to be content with just doing one thing. Like he'll just kind of get bored of something and immediately go on to the next thing. And then he meets Mob and that's what kind of changes his perception and Mm -hmm. makes him want to, uh, he realized there was just something in Mob that he'd wanted. It was something that he'd hoped that would make him special. Yeah, it was interesting to know that he didn't just... He didn't originally hire on Mob just because he thought Mob could make him money. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he he was being selfish still because yeah, like, yeah. but it wasn't just for out a different of reason. Yeah, and even he acknowledges that, and it's kind of and it's actually kind of sad to see that because first of all, we missed the whole big thing about how Jota was a scheming asshole. Yeah, well, <laughs> like I mean, we'd kind of seen we kind of seen this coming, but just the depths of which he planned this, I can kind of understand where he's coming from because. Jodo was, he, he was making an honest living doing a business that he was actually, you know, doing mm-hmm. and helping people with his psychic powers. And then someone, I, I can definitely understand why it would piss you off to see a fake mm-hmm. come into your business and, you know, basically steal your business by scamming people. Yeah. At the same, but as you pointed out, like, is he really scamming people? Yeah, I mean, 
he's not. He's still helping. Well, he's kind of scamming people. Yeah. But in is. the end, he's helping people. But from Joda's perspective, he's not seeing any of that. He's yeah. just seeing someone pretending to be a psychic. Yeah, exactly. And uh, try and the way that he basically the whole time Reagan is like, oh wait, this is a script, so I'll just have to follow the script. He realizes mm. like right off the bat just by watching the kid's reaction because it's like, did the salt splash? It's like the salt splash never works. This kid is clearly acting, but then he decides to play it up for, because he thinks like, oh, okay, well, this is clearly a show. The kid knows it's a show. There's no reason to hold back. Although, Johto then reveals that his plan wasn't to make Reagan just be an opening act. It was just to say, oh yeah, by the way, that kid was never possessed to begin with. I think what Reagan should have done is, like, it would have, it would have made him look really good. To the audience and you know people in general, if he said uh, even after because after the guy was like that kid's not possessed, he should have been like, been like, "Wow, I have mu- I have so much to learn. I, I thought he actually was possessed. Mm. Like you're such an amazing psychic." Because everyone would have been like, "Wow, look at all that humility he has, and he yeah. seems like such a genuine nice guy." I think I think it was a combination of like Reagan was just completely caught off guard. He wasn't expecting that. Oh, and I, so like proud and yeah, he, exactly. He, he's he he's so used to being able to like talk his way out of things yeah it was hard to just actually watch him kind of crumble and buckle down like that we've never seen that side of him before yeah. and then the press conference which was easily one of the yeah. best scenes ever then he just, just snaps back to just his, like his snarky ass attitude like the whole time mm-hmm. like it was just funny <laughs> i'm pretty sure that well it didn't show it but i'm almost positive that it was mob mm-hmm. that Made everything float in the room. Yeah, and then because uh, that that was such a, a heart touching moment when he when Reagan's like, "Well, I hope you're watching Mob," and he's like, "You've grown up, haven't you?" Yeah, it's just like, yeah, you've grown up so much, you know that. And I think it was kind of hilarious when, uh, like, just the whole time, like the reporters are grilling him in questions and stuff like that, trying to basically give some irrelevant questions, and he's just calmly and coolly answering them and at first he's just being a smart ass like basically saying eh, i don't care what you people think about me at this point but then i think the the ultimate like mic drop moment is when everybody's stuff started floating out and then they're saying what are you it's like are you doing this what are you going to do to help us it's like well maybe you should just find your next big story <laughs> i just halfway imagined him like picking up a microphone and just going boop <laughs> yeah and then it led into that yeah that, that nice touching scene yeah which, that nice little moment uh, i'm assuming next episode Reagan's probably gonna Reagan and mob are probably gonna have a nice talk either have a nice talk or, or, maybe, or maybe just go well didn't they didn't they like go get food yeah let's go get words. some ramen and yeah. mob said oh by the way happy birthday yeah ah it's so it's yeah. so oh, nice it's so good they're such a they're, they're such a good uh like friends for each yeah. other because they're such mob, a good duo mob is teaching Reagan how to be a I guess they're both teaching each other how to be better people. Yeah, exactly. It was so cool. I did not expect, I mean, I said it before, I, I'll say it again, I did not expect all this, like, deep emotional, like, personal connections from this show. Yeah, I mean, in this first, like, in the first season, we kind of just dealt into the psychology of a character who was kind of overpowered and just trying to be normal. Here we're starting to delve a little bit deeper into that mm-hmm. and figure out more about A little bit deeper it. into Reagan too. Yeah, that, which is really cool. Reagan's such a good character. Next up, my roommate is a cat. Man, kids are exhausting. That's all I have to say about this episode. Yeah, kids are I exhausting. completely, I, I I completely feel what 
that Subaru was going through this entire episode. Yeah, again, as an because as an introvert, I relate because all of a sudden it's just like Hiroto shows up, and then with him he decides to bring his four siblings. Actually, his uh, twin, his twin brother and sister, his little, his very young sister, and then his younger sister who's i want to say in high school yeah somewhere around that. yeah but then but then it's just like i'm used to hanging out with you and i'm used to you just kind of barging in but i wasn't expecting this like i didn't plan for this which yeah. again it's such a relatable feeling like as a fellow introvert it's yeah because like, like when someone brings kids over you're like well i i want to be polite and you know give the kids something to do but also i don't know how fucking to leave like i don't know how to interact with kids like i've never had this issue before <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is that uh, Subaru is uh, like again. You kept you talked about a couple episodes ago how you were wishing that the whole writer aspect of the um, uh, of Subaru's like character came in, and it seems like that's coming back in full force because the episode starts with here are some cover ideas that we have for the novel. Also, there's an autograph signing that the uh, company wants you mm-hmm. to do. Immediately, just I refuse. Yeah, I think this was probably my favorite episode so far. Yeah, because I think it was handled. Like the best out yeah. of any episode so far, uh, we got to see, you know, all, uh, Subaru, uh, you know, getting exhausted, but uh, realizing that, you know, just because he hasn't been hanging out with people all the time doesn't mean it's something he wouldn't want to do. Because he was like, you know, maybe this is nice every once in a while. Every once in a great while. Yeah, yeah I think that was cool. Like, and and, and, and from Haru's perspective too. Yeah. Oh my god, that oh, was cute. Uh, the little little thought of you gotta protect the little ones when she's about to scratch um, the kid yeah <laughs> and then she just immediately goes to smug like yeah i'm protecting this kid it's face. like it's like pulling the wheat goes against my principles <laughs> <laughs> oh man haru smug cat love you yeah i think that subaru and haru make a very at least at this point in the show for me they make a very strong duo for exactly for, for a cast i don't think either of them would be able to function on their own yeah exactly as a series I think that the the other really interesting thing here is just, like, the little details of how we've seen Subaru kind of grow. Like, uh, for one thing, when everybody's just... When uh, Hiroto just basically invites himself over for dinner, he's actually... is about ready to ask, like, uh, Kawase if he wants to stay for dinner. I don't think early on he ever would have done that. Yeah, true. Like, and then... But then... But then Kawase pretty much invites himself, <laughs> so there's no point. <laughs> Because Kawase basically is just a child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's basically a child. Like, and it was actually kind of funny, like, seeing him, like, kind of ham up for the kids. Like, oh, I wonder where the kids could be. <laughs> like, that whole spiel. Like, if you ever played hide-and-seek with your parents growing up, they would always pull that. <laughs> it's just such a real, it's just such a real emotion. The, uh, the final scene of the show, actually, is pretty up there alongside of alongside with mob actually surprisingly for me uh, it's like one of the most heartwarming scenes of the week yeah uh, just seeing haru snuggle up to subaru and it's like well you know i i know you told me that it was dangerous, never to let your but, guard down but, but maybe just this once it's just okay just for a little <laughs> while right and just yeah. the, them snuggling together was yeah, so goddamn was, adorable that was like that it was so adorable like the show is so wholesome i love it and we actually get a little bit of uh, another example of when he grow of seeing Subaru's growth as a character is when uh, is when for what is when uh, Nagisa I believe the girl's name is asks him like the high school girl yeah asks him like 
well, what it's like, what books do you recommend? And oh, yeah. You think that you think that he's going to walk away and just trying to kind of compose himself. I was expecting that at first, but then he comes back with a book. Yeah, that was it was a good callback to the last episode where we see the happiness he got from communicating with people was seeing what what other people like checked out books he liked. Yeah, exactly. As well, and it was kind of a nice little tie-in here. Yeah, exactly. It was it was a very nice little moment, and the little moment when. Uh, the little moment when he's like look, wondering, is like, oh crap, do I have enough teacups for everybody? And then he's reminded of like a tea set that his mother bought. Mm-hmm. And it kind of was like, oh, that's kind of sad, but also kind of heartwarming. They, she never got to use that tea set, but he used it for everyone, which was, I think, mm-hmm. a nice, sweet little moment. Uh, I think I would have been more invested in the tea set. Uh, minor complaint, but if they didn't show the flashback about his mom, uh, I think I think it would have just been cooler if he, he like, Picked up the tea set, maybe remembered his mom a little bit, mm-hmm. and then just continued on. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I just like visual storytelling better. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, overall, it was a really nice episode. Indeed. Uh, next up is The Price of Smiles. I think that we've... I think that last week was a little bit of a stumble. This week, we've kind of hit our stride again, actually. Yeah, I was very worried that the show was gonna go and... That the Yuki was suddenly going to be a like master tactician. She was going to be amazing at everything she does. Yeah, I made that like I made that joke before we watched the episode this week, and then you and you were actually, you brought up that concern, and I and no, I was actually quite impressed with like how they went about this. Yeah, because you Yuki is obviously a prodigy for lack of a better word. She's very intelligent, makes very good judgments. But also, she's still blinded by her unreasonable want to save literally every single person yeah. under her command. I think that it... And again, while it's a noble ideal, unfortunately, that's not always the most realistic approach. Yeah, you're not going to get what you want in war if you try to save every single life. Some people are going to die, and you need to accept that. Yeah, it's and it's unfortunate. Like, obviously, you want... And I think she's actually kind of grown like to the idea that... Try to save people where you can. Like, don't get unnecessary casualties. Yeah, cut over to fucking me playing Fire Emblem for the past few weeks. I have to save everybody! (laughs) Nobody can die! (laughs) Oh, permadeath is so cruel in that game. Like, Uh, it's like, oh, it's like, you're the unit that I spent so much time and, like, leveling up and it just decided, and the game decided to screw me over with RNG. Fuck you, game. Uh, Fuck you. But yeah, Yuki is... Uh, she she's still working through her flaws. It, it, everybody keeps pointing that out, like especially um, uh, Harold. Harold, yeah, yeah. I think that I think that's something that was a little bit. While this episode was good, I think that it wasn't without its flaws. Like my overall stance on this show is that it's a good show, albeit it has some problems, like some storytell like some storytelling scenes that could have been handled better. Like in the opening bit, it's described like you hear Layla kind of like just awkwardly exposit like two and a half months have passed yuki has like we've been holding the fort like and yuki strategizing has mostly been well those are all cool strategies like that and she's been pouring over tactical guides like day and night though it's all really cool i would have liked to have seen more of that like actually seen her like kind of stressing out yeah exactly we could have used another episode for sure just seeing the seeing the process of yuki when she first escaped to how she got to this point. Yeah, exactly. Another scene where that was kind of a problem was the scene when uh, 
when she was talking with Layla about like the recording that they should that she showed the day they left the palace, like the thing that the thing that had pretty much incited this whole conflict between uh, Grandiga and uh, Soleil. You see, like Yuki, just sort of like talking with uh, with Layla on a bench, and then they cut to a flashback of this recording, like talking about a third major superpower, the the old Verde Empire, as they're referred to, and then of course. We see later uh, Izana, I believe his name was the uh, Asian commander guy. Yeah, yeah, it's Izana. Yeah, they were um, uh, like he goes and is like listening to like because he's still kind of able to like hack into like the security cameras and stuff still inside the palace. I love anime hacking or just fictional stuff. <laughs> it's <just> like <laughs> I'm hacking into the system. <laughs> I hacked the timeline. <laughs> I'm hacker man. <laughs> uh, go on. <laughs> But, so, and he finds about, out about the Verde Empire. So, it would have been interesting if the whole hacking scene happened first, and then Yuki was reflecting probably by herself about the whole, uh, the Verde Empire realization. It just felt like those scenes should have been placed, like, in different order, but, like, the director had, like, gotten them mixed up or something. Yeah, yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that, uh... But it is interesting, though, seeing, like, this third superpower, which has apparently sort of fallen under out of favor. Yeah, I guess they fizzled out. Yeah, it, would have, it kind of makes you wonder, like, what happened? Like, what happened to this empire? Like, and if Izana... I think it got absorbed by, um, like, Grandiga. Probably. Or if it has something to do with the Krars, because that's the biggest thing that, we're, that I'm being led to believe. And I think yeah. the intro is kind of uh, lending a little bit of idea to that. Um, maybe they got blown up, or like a city of theirs had gotten completely obliterated because of the cross. Oh yeah, that could definitely be a thing. Yeah, because they were very against them being developed. Yeah, I think they like. I think they saw the destructive power of the cross and wanted to resort to terrorism mm-hmm. to uh, to make sure they just didn't exist. So Izana's uh, death scene, I think, was really well done. I think it, so. It, too. it felt it felt really well earned. It didn't see. It didn't feel like they just kind of threw it in there because he. He, he found this information that was, from his perspective, very, very important and more, like, worth more than his own life and more yeah, than seeing his kid again. Because because that was the thing. Like, he was getting ready to escape. Yeah. You actually see him, like, see a lifeboat, consider getting on the lifeboat, but then run away from the lifeboat and go to the computer terminal instead. So, it's like, oh, wait a second. That's, it's like, that was your opportunity to escape. What are you doing? Which again, it makes sense considering what he ends up showing. The yeah, uh, we we haven't we don't know yet, uh, but it, it was apparently very important information about like the origin of the the Verde Empire. Yeah, and like their their test their results research. of the Krars. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which again, we keep figuring they keep hinting at how dangerous the Krars are. Yeah, uh, Yuki was saying like, okay, we'll surrender if you release all this information and, and, and ensure and, the safety of my people. Yeah, which. Uh, fleet decides not to do she's like i can i will ensure yeah. the safety of your people however i won't release any of the information about so that seems like information that would end up turning the entire like people of granda granda against them yeah probably, probably. i imagine so like because even like because even like in the conversation between fleet and the emperor you see like the whole like hesitance for her to use the crars and because she knows that something bad is probably going to happen if they fight with the new Krars. Like, it's gonna probably... They're unstable, is the uh, is the biggest problem that she points out to the Emperor. Mm-hmm. But the Emperor, as he said before, like, I don't care. You need to do this. 
Like, we need... It's basically just a show of power. Mm -hmm. Which... And then the final, final scene where you see Yuki, like, in the hospital because, uh... She has her baby... Like, because, uh, Izana's wife has her baby. Like, the scene where she just kind of starts crying, but she's got a smile on her face. It's... It's hard to watch. Because, like, it just makes me think, like, was she... I don't think she was happy to see that kid. Like, on one hand, she was, but I think, like, the part was... She, the kid reminded her too much of Izana and what he had to give up, pretty much. So that probably made her start crying. Yeah, it was a really... really it was a bittersweet really episode. Mm-hmm. Very bittersweet. So next up, Promise Neverland. Holy shit, this, episode, this series doesn't continue not oh to disappoint. Oh my god. Like, this, the best description I can give of this series as a whole, and this episode I think is the probably one of the better things about this, it's like a huge cat and mouse game where you're never quite sure who the cat is, who the <laughs> mouse is, and sometimes there's multiple cats and multiple mice. <laughs> yeah. Like, this episode, way to put it. <laughs> like, this, the power dynamic between these characters shifted so constantly in this episode, you were never quite sure who was at an advantage and who was at a disadvantage here. It, it, this, I think I might have said this before, and if I did, I apologize, but it's it's very much like Death Note in that regard with the whole like mind games and mental challenges and sort of like how they're just trying to one-up each other and sort of get an advantage on the other person, but it never seems like you're quite sure who's defending, who's attacking. Yeah. It's... Uh, Crone is fucking scary. Can I just point... or? Scary creepy. Stuff. Creepy, yeah. yeah. She's definitely way more creepy than she is scary. Yeah, they... Uh, from what I've heard, uh, she's not that creepy in the manga. They they, they kind of amplified her creepy levels for the anime. Which I think is a solid decision. Yeah, it's, it's working well, definitely. Like, I mean, on the other hand, if she didn't look as... If she was a... If there was something just sort of, like, off-kilter about her, like... Like, she didn't look that creepy. Like, but they still kind of... Uh, but they still made her just kind of unsettling. It would have been effective in its own right well, but here she's just downright creepy, which I think, I think is effective. I think they're doing it to set her apart from Mama as, like, a, a separate character. Yeah. Kind of a separate entity, because, like, Mama has that kind of nurturing, caring look, but also she has, she's very unsettling and yeah, not, she's, not creepy, just she's, unsettling. She's almost too perfect. Yeah, and, and then the having Crone be very... Very creepy looking a lot of the time is, is a good contrast. And, yeah, like and seeing how animated she is compared to Mama. Like like when her sing songy voice, her dancing around and stuff like that, it's all super unsettling to watch. Yeah. So so I my my highlight for this episode is when Crone goes uh when 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 the kids are eating breakfast and Crone runs off into the kids' room to look uh, I think it was in Ray's it was yeah, Ray's, Ray's desk. Yeah, to try and figure out, find some kind of evidence about how they're going to destroy the tracking devices. They, as soon as she like went in there and started digging around, the music kind of slowly faded out. To to it was silence. There's no music. It was just the sound of her rummaging through stuff. Mm-hmm. And and then you see Phil. Yeah, uh, kind of jump in, and that's it, it. Wasn't really a stinger, but it kind of felt like one. Yeah, uh, and just her whole searching and then actually finding the note. I was so like, it was so tense. This whole the whole scene, my heart was just like doo doo. Do 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 do. And I was, just, I was just quietly watching, and I was expecting somebody to like jump out or something to happen. And just this show is so good at like 
masterfully presenting atmosphere and, and yeah. making you making you nervous that something bad is going to happen at any like, moment. Exactly. Like the camp like the camera work and everything. And just the look on Chrome's face when she sees what's on like the I mean, it looks like a piece of paper, a photograph or something. I don't know entirely what it is. I, I'm pretty sure it's a photograph. Yeah, it would make sense because of the whole camera. He just got the camera. Yeah, Ray really. gets a camera. Um it's really interesting because I don't know like what all the planning is going like all the planning that really is going on here because I think the scene that set it up for me was the scene when Norman and Emma go into Crone's room and start talking like there are just some subtle little details and stuff like when Crone finally reveals about the tracking devices even though they know about the tracking devices they they ask about them and when she says that uh when she says they're located in your left ear like right about here they kind of look shocked you see, like, a pause on Crone's face. Like, she's sort of sizing up their reactions. But then kind of doesn't acknowledge it. And then when they're getting ready to leave, she starts laughing. Yeah, she's pretty clever. Yeah, she's, she's very... She's very perceptive. And when she... It's... When Emma asks her to, uh... To see, like, the tracking device. Like, the little device radar that they have. Kind of looks like a pocket watch. Seven steps never felt so long. That's how many... <laughs> just... Yeah. Like, is she going to pull a knife out or yeah. something? <laughs> yeah, it's just like, oh god. Oh god, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I can't take this. Uh, they, they did a really good job um, world building this episode. Oh uh, yeah, it was it was very well handled. Like, it was very subtle. Like, the... Like, for one, they reveal in sort of like a throwaway line of dialogue. It's like, I was raised in the... I was raised in this race field, but never at plant three, for one thing. Two, the... the the whole thing about, like, mama in general, like, how, like, mamas actually come to be. Like, you have to be a girl, specifically, of the age of 12, have be smart enough, and be, recomm- be recommended by the current mama of that house. Yeah. All, and then, Crone even mentions something of a grandma. Okay, I cannot wait to see her. Yeah, so we got a, we got a confirmation, or maybe confirmation... From Crone, because we don't know how much of her, uh, of her information is actually truth, uh, about the fact that there are people out in the world that live normal lives, like mm-hmm. humans. They live alongside the, the quote-unquote monsters. Yeah. So, if that is true, then it, it kind of will... It, it'll be a little less dire of a situation for them to survive once they get outside the walls. Because I'm sure there's also children mm-hmm. outside the walls. Like, I, uh, I think I said before... That I'm pretty sure that it's just going to be a society of, you know, humans are one of the races, monsters are one of the races, mm-hmm. and this is just like a, a livestock farm, so people don't really freak out about it. Maybe. Like, maybe they don't entirely know what's going on, but yeah, I'm fascinated to figure out where it, where this world all goes. And the final, the final scene, though, when Mama shows up at the door of Crone's bedroom, pulls out a knife, you think that she's going to stab yeah. her with it, but then it's like... But then kind of tosses it around, like, no, this is, it's like... Which, that was on purpose, for yeah. sure. Like, that was a power play, if yeah, I've like, ever seen one. Yeah. Like, wow, well, I got this knife. It's like... What are you gonna fucking do about it? It's like, it's like, there's a letter from HQ, it's for you. You should open it. Go on, open it. Yeah. And then when she does, like, again, Crone's face looks, like, freaking dark. Like, just freaked out. I'm assuming it was a transfer letter, probably. Like, a, you're a tra- being moved on to another... Yeah, a transfer letter, or maybe they're she's slated to be killed. Maybe. Like, so either way, I'm pretty sure that the the kids 
planned the photo that she was that she found. Like they planned for her to find either a photo or a letter or whatever. And I think found. Ray had conve- like because he even because he even specifically asked Mama to it's like that thing for it's like that thing that we're going to do. Do you think we could do it sometime around lunch? Like he actually specifically made it a point for that to be the time. And another thing, it seems like Mama knows about the like Ray's stash because because like it was revealed like a couple episodes ago like Norman found like an, a bunch of stuff under Ray's bed like kind of hidden beneath a floorboard or mm-hmm. something it seems like she knew about that and had moved it or something or she doesn't know about it like I don't know no I don't think I don't think she knows about it hmm. I think that the thing they were talking about was uh getting Crone kicked out yeah I think that Ray and Mama worked together to get Crone removed from the situation because yeah. eventually when Mama realized like okay Crone isn't what I wanted here yeah Crone is just a li- is kind of more of a liability but, but you can't just send her away because that would be suspicious yeah exactly but it makes me wonder like how exact like what exactly that is I'm sure it'll tell us next episode probably. yeah I, I'm <laughs> this episode's got me on the is this I'm sitting on pins and needles for this show it's so it's so atmospheric and so like. And so just mind gainy. I freaking love it. I I cannot get enough of this episode. It's like as we've said before, it's probably one of two shows this season that we are just like every week just looking forward to it the most. So next up is the quintessential quintuplets. Hey Rex, can I ask you? Do you want to make a Miku? What? Do you want to make a Miku? Because that's exactly what the what the oh. rest of the quints <laughs> tried to. That's what the quints tried to do. Like when Itsuki, when Itsuki, Ichika, and Nina are just sitting at the table together, like yeah. it's like they just say, "Hey, let's try and trick him. Let's make him look like it. Let's try and make Itsuki look like Miku because let's part." <laughs> Ichika's like, "Just part your hair to the side a little bit, and there we go. You look like Miku." No, you parted her hair to the side the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, that was a that led to a nice little touching scene this episode with uh, when when Uzuki was like, "Oh, hello, Miku." I see you are there, Miku. Let us prepare to study, Miku. Yeah, yeah. It, it was just a nice little, nice little kind of then making up moment. Yeah, it was like the two. Like the, I want to point out the name of this episode was called Liar McLyface. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was translated. Yeah. Like I think it's Usotsu Usotsuki. I think is the name of the episode in Japanese. Mm. So I imagine that's probably something like Liar Liar, or at least something to that effect. But I don't know. It was it was hilarious nonetheless. Liar McLyface. <laughs> I think the other uh, really cool thing is they the show knows the tropes of the harem genre, but it also knows how to mess with them. Like because if this were any other harem show, some one of the girls would have stumbled into the room, saw Miku sli- sleeping there, and would have immediately had a misunderstanding. Like oh my god, someone blah, blah, would have been punched or slapped or something, or they would have just been pissy about it for several episodes. Yeah, exactly. And but no, there there was none of that. Like yeah, it, there's slight romantic undertones, mm-hmm. but for the most part, it's just friendship. I yeah, think, is like, growing. I think so. Like, unless you're Miku, because Miku clearly had overheels for him. Well, it's it's one sided. Yeah, for sure. I don't think he. Uh, I don't think he. Uh, uh, Uesugi has any major romantic feelings for any of the girls. I don't think so. It's probably like something along the lines of you know he's a teenage boy and he thinks they're cute. Yeah, but that's about it at the moment. Yeah, and I think what's also really cool again Ichika proving what a great wingman she is. Like basically 
Like, could you go home and get my get my stuff? Wink, wink. Well, that wasn't her being a wingman. That was her uh, getting Uesugi to go back and yeah, you know, and to apologize. apologize yeah. Yeah, exactly, and it was her being a good older sister. Yeah, which again, really cool. Very, very nice of her. And then even uh, Miku having like the little uh, about last night. It's like nothing happened last <laughs> night. I slept on I slept on the couch because I couldn't get used to the bed <laughs> and my back hurts. <laughs> Smooth. Yeah. Uh, just like the the sneak in scene. Oh my god. I, I fucking called it. Like I knew it was gonna happen. It's like it's like, well Yotsu yeah, you were like Yotsuba's in there, so they're probably just gonna yeah. have them all look like Yotsuba. He's walking up like Oh, hi Yeah, just... Like, <laughs> yes, I am totally Yotsuba. <laughs> just fucking tries to walk by. And, and then the guy, like know. the guidance teacher, doesn't stop him at first. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I feel like too many people... Maybe they're just playing up how different they look for the audience. Mm-hmm. But I feel like too many people in the show are fucking retarded when it comes to discerning the differences between the twins. Yeah, because they even kind of make that point in the beginning. Again, a little clever uh, way that Uesugi figured out that it was uh, that it was Itsuki and not Miku was the pajamas she was wearing. Oh, they, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, it's like, Miku? Wait, no. That, but Miku's in there already. Wait, those pajamas. Oh, that's Itsuki. That's got to be hard to do as a writer because you have to be so consistent all the time about the little tiny quirks each girl has. Yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming the writer at some point probably got confused himself about which character was which. Yeah, exactly. Especially in an anime when you have different people doing in-between frames. Yeah. Then you have to make sure if those people also don't get confused. Hmm. Yeah, you have to make sure that Itsuki doesn't, isn't wearing headphones unless she's made a point that she's wearing yeah, headphones. Exactly. Or, or that one of the other sisters is putting stars in their hair for some reason, mm-hmm. but so the 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 penultimate the scene in this episode was really sweet. Seeing Nino finally kind of come to c- come to the side of all the sisters, yeah, a begrudging of, of, understanding, allowing him to stick around. Yeah, for, that was, and she started to realize that when uh, they note when she noticed um, when she noticed Miku uh, and uh, Uesugi just make up. Like, and he's helping her studying. She start, like, you see this look on her face, because she's watching the whole time. It's like, huh, maybe he's not such a bad guy after all. Like, that was a pretty cool little moment. I liked her clever not lie. <laughs> yeah! Her lie by omission. Yeah. Yeah, like, he he prevented us from failing all five subjects. The five of us from failing all five subjects. It's like, well, they did pass. Yeah, I didn't lie. <laughs> he, yeah, she technically didn't lie. And then, of course, we get a little bit of a breakdown of each of the scores of the girls. Um, Miku got the highest score. Yes! Um, but that was partly because uh, Itsuki didn't answer all the questions. Because he's like, Itsuki, you're so unbelievably awkward. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. they did a good job playing more into the, the quintuplets kind of narrative of each different sister is best at a certain subject. Yeah, each- Even though Yosuba was like, I guessed! <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was kind of I thought it was kind of funny though as well when she was just when she was in there and then she was like oh I'm just gonna guess it's like usually in an answer with five in five the fourth one is usually correct of course she guessed the fourth one because Yotsu is it's in her name fourth, yeah. So, yeah exactly yeah I I don't really count her as being good at that subject if she just fucking guessed it's like no yeah. <laughs> I, I it's gonna be hard. To get all of them up to passing scores for the, the, the finals or whatever they have to do, which is probably going to be the finale of the series. Yeah, exactly. It's I And there was a nice little line from uh, Futuro, was, uh, 
It's depressing being reminded how stupid all of you are. <laughs> oh my god. I I freaking loved it. I, I loved this episode. And then, of course, uh, Itsuki, she, since she's our token Cindere, she has to play the whole, like, I'm doing this for Raiha's sake, of course. Yeah. It's, like, it's not like I want to help him out <laughs> or anything. Because he's the only one, because she was the only other sister aside from Nino, who inadvertently figured it out, that uh, the dad told them, oh yeah, by the way, um, if he doesn't help you all pass all of your tests, I'm kicking him out. I'm firing him. Which, I thought it was really cool and nice of Nino to actually like step up to the plate. And, yeah, uh, so, so at this point, he's probably got all the sisters mostly in into studying, at least, which I think they've got like half a half a semester or whatever. Yeah, they do. This is all only midterm. Yeah, so they um, probably, they're probably going to end up time-skipping a little bit. Yeah, I want to point out that uh, that there are, like, if you were, uh, there are five tests on the midterm, so that's about an average of uh, 500 points apiece. The highest score that they got was like 160-something. That's terrible. That is atrocious. <laughs> They are, dare I say, dumb bitches. Yeah, they are... No offense to any smart bitches that yeah. exist. <laughs> oh, man, it, it's just absolutely terrible. But at the same time, uh, Miku got a 68 on one of her tests, which... Yeah, yeah, we know, we know you like Miku. Miku's great, I'm sure a lot of... You like Yotsuba, you like the dumbest one in the group. Hey, she tries her best to guess questions. Yeah, she certainly does that. Your taste is shit! <laughs> Alright, so next up, Rising of the Shield Hero. I fucking knew this would happen. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, like, most people probably called it, based yeah. on what I was seeing around the internet about last episode. It's like, everyone's like, yeah, that's the seed. Yeah, it's just, uh, like, okay, like, which I don't necessarily know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that people were able to call it, but it just, it's because it makes me wonder, like... I think that's fine. Yeah, I didn't, like, I didn't hate it. Like, I thought it was just... It was just a thing that is. It's like, okay, that's a major red flag. I think it definitely was a little kind of forced. I being think, like, oh, here's the seed of blah, 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 blah. I think that it, um, uh, I think that it played more into the idea. Like, because later, now Fumi kind of berates the village about, like, how, it's like, oh, you thought it, it's like, even though they heard of this legend already of an alchemist who had made this seed and had sealed it away because, like, plants had overtaken the region for a while, that they had just kind of, uh, collectively ignored it. Yeah, I mean, because hunger will make you do crazy things. I don't think it was so much that as much as it was, like, the idea of, like, hero worship. Because because Motoyasu brought it to mm. them, and they just immediately thought, oh, it's like, oh, it should be safe because a hero brought it to us. So I think it played more into that idea rather than anything, like, yeah. them being, like, starving or anything. Maybe. Maybe a combination of both. Yeah. Like, you convinced yourself it was safe just because a hero brought it to you. I thought that was interesting. Also, these plants are fucked up. Like, for one, they grow ridiculously quickly, they turn into monsters, and they even are parasites. Like, they just kind of, like, start growing out of people. It, like, that whole bit reminded me of the, uh, of the Lost Odyssey little vignette, the uh, tragedy of the Butcher General, where a kind of similar thing happened. Like, plants just started growing out of this guy's body. Mm. It was it's super fucked up, actually. The... The insect, uh, they're not insecticide, the herbicide, herbicide. that was also very strong. <laughs> yeah. And I guess after he enhanced it, it became yeah. a little stronger. Just like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm just going to make this plant just completely freaking crumble. Yeah, just by pouring it on it. Yeah, the plant eye, the plant eyes reminded me of beholders. Like, I can't be the only one who thought that. Like, you mean that, gazers? 
Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I forgot. Ooh, games are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I like again that uh, Naofumi ended up charging them for his work. He, uh, a sm- he took some of the fruit. I think it was. Yeah. Like end. it's like because and some of the seeds. Yeah, because they were all because he was like, okay, I'm I never said anything about giving yeah. it to you. Because like I said before, it, it works better for the long term in every for everybody if both parties feel like they're getting something out of the situation. Yeah, and it was kind of interesting how he kind of finagled his way through it. Like, uh, I never said I was giving it to you. Just, and it's like, well, we gave you all our money for the treatment. It's like, well, you can pay me in goods, but we don't have anything left. Kind of side-eyes. Oh, wait, we have seeds and fruits. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I also thought the way he, like, genetically reprogrammed the, the fruit was pretty clever. Oh, yeah, because he gained, like, the... He gained the bio... He gained the bio fruit uh, shield, which allowed him to modify plants, which seems like a really bizarre skill, but it's like, okay, you can modify plants. But then he combined it with his Mandragora shield that he got, like, a couple episodes ago, I think, and he was able to... He was able to analyze and then modify its specifications. So mm-hmm. in conjunction, those two shields worked really well together. Which I think <laughs> he also probably might have crashed the economy of the village by doing that. Because mm. they're like, oh, now nobody will make a job off of food because we have unlimited food. Well, they can they can all be traders and start selling those to yeah, people. Yeah, I guess so. So he kind of has an... so And they can start spreading it to other people. It, it's going to have a very wide-lasting effect on... That area's economy, yeah, that's for sure. Hey, I mean, at least it's better than everybody dying if. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. <laughs> and because your options are get devoured by plant monsters, die of famine, or have to deal with a new mm-hmm. influx of economy, just all right. Let's figure out how to work this. So the uh, and then, then we got the other half of the episode, which is you got to have one. Uh, it's, it's a, a hot, spring hot spring episode. episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, I remember like we were getting ready to watch this, and you're and you were like, uh, I heard this was a hot spring episode. I was like, oh really? Yeah, I, I saw <laughs> the the PVs for it, <laughs> and I think it's funny. I'm not entirely sure if this is just how demi humans work, or if it's just Reftalia still having the mind of a child. I'll get pregnant if we kiss. Because oh yeah yeah when yeah. she was all fantasizing like if you if, <laughs> yeah, that that might be how they work Who it knows? might be but I doubt it like you know if you it's like that American Dad episode if you make out then you'll get pregnant with an alien baby yeah yeah it's mostly kind of a rivalry between Philo and Raftalia. Philo and Raftalia's episode yeah well which I don't really think it's much of a rivalry from Nafumi's perspective because. I don't really think he sees either of them that way. No, he doesn't. I, <laughs> in, in all honesty, I hope that, as I've said before, I hope that for the future of this series, he doesn't see either of them that way. Like uh, I, pers- I think, I think he he would eventually probably you know end up with Raftalia. I people who have read the source material obviously know. Don't, like, don't spoil it. Yeah, don't spoil it. I just I'm just saying that I personally. I wouldn't go that route. Like, I personally wouldn't if I were writing the series, just because, eh, I don't really see their relationship as being that way. Yeah, like, it would take a while for them to have a truly healthy relationship. Yeah, like, again, that's the other big red flag. It's like, that would be so unhealthy and creepy. Yeah, the whole slave crest thing. Yeah, the whole, yeah, the slave <laughs> crest, the fact that she is still pretty much a child. Like, she looks like a lady, but Officer. no. She's, she has the bottle, well, I guess an officer wouldn't really care. Yeah, it's like, oh, she has the body of an adult, but she's still got the mind of a child. You're going to jail for dating the mind of a child. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love how uh, 
they even though it's in like fantasy past medieval times or whatever as soon as rough Talia gets out of the hot tub she has the the coffee milk yeah whatever. yeah the coffee milk the, like stereotypical hot springs thing oh it's like and she even like puts her hand on her on her on her hip and yeah like, chugs it like, like yeah. you're supposed to do uh, yeah and then <laughs> the, that was a funny little moment when she saw like uh she saw philo and naofumi like uh, naofumi was brushing philo's hair and then she was about to give him the milk but then he was too distracted. He's like, hey, give me the milk. And then uh, Philo's all like, hey, give me that milk. And she just chucks down both of them. She's like, Get, fuck you. Yeah. Uh, this episode did have a really weird way of introducing, like, the, the major plot line. Or at least major motivation. It's like, because Raftalia wanted to get, like, this uh, this medal. But then, or or something of that nature. And she it just kind of awkwardly cut back to her, like, overhearing this conversation from... Uh, from these two ladies, like, oh, I get, I hear love charms made from this, uh, from this are actually really powerful or whatever. That just felt really awkward, not a place. It felt better when, uh... It was kind of a filler episode. <laughs> yeah, it felt a little bit more organic when, uh, Philo was explaining what she was trying to do. Like, like, they didn't, like, kind of cut back to it awkwardly. She just kind of explained what she was doing. And then, and if I bring a delicacy to Master, she'll, he'll pet me and, be, and become my mate. Like, no. That's a bit of a jump. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah i think it's funny though that uh that that's exactly where her mind goes because like before that it's like oh she's just being a glutton as usual she's such a child but then she's thinking that far ahead yeah nothing like a little bit of kfc kentucky fried coitus <laughs> <laughs> kentucky fried coitus i've never heard that before i imagine it'd be very messy actually and be- delicious <laughs> but I think that the uh, the other big part of this episode was just being chased around by a big ass boar, and then how did the boar find them? Like, like that boar has really good noses. That, I guess that's true. And memories. Do they really? Yeah, there's uh, lots of cases of like when someone's fucking with a pig as a baby, the the pig will grow up and have a vendetta against that person. I've I haven't heard of pigs. I have heard of elephants, but yeah, that's pig, interesting. Yeah, pigs do that too. Hmm, anyway, yeah, it was a nice little teamwork moment between uh, Raftali and Philo. Kind after, of a, yeah, little after, bit of bonding. Yeah, after the egg, after the eggs were destroyed, after the little uh, piece of ore went flying, the two of them just kind of looked at each other, looked at the pig, and then they were just like, "Fuck you, pig!" <laughs> <laughs> and then they sell the pig for a crap load of money. And when they said, "It's like we'll pay good money for it," and it's like, I was thinking, "Oh, they're just going to give them the money." Now Fumi likes money. Yeah. It was a it was a sweet little present, like yeah. a little, the little hammer they gave him. Yeah, I, I was I was assuming expect- it was probably a very expensive hammer. Yeah, I imagine so because I don't imagine them keeping all the, mm-hmm. keeping any of the money. <laughs> uh, it kind of brings me back to how, why I like Naofumi also because he's he's not just like a generic hero. He has like the the trading and the crafting. And yeah, that's all really cool. Like I, it's more of a business character. Yeah, and then we also see like how how powerful he can be at times, like. Uh, because yeah, he's obviously he obviously has a lot of skills and is like figuring out like and cleverly applying those. But I think it was just really cool, like when the vines were wrapping around him, he just kind of like the vines just start disintegrating around him, like does it kind of fall off of him? I think he like poured the herbicide into a shield or something. 
Maybe. Because well, they like show the herbicide and then his shield glowed and then he started walking forward and the vines didn't affect him. Hmm. That it, Either way, it was still a cool looking scene to watch. Yeah. And then it was also... Zero fucks given. There was still another really cool little scene when you see uh, when you see like the stereotypical, oh, Raftali is getting grabbed by vines. She's trying to hide her skirt. <laughs> and then Philo just goes, heh. <laughs> <laughs> Smug bird. <laughs> nice bird. Yeah, nice bird though. Uh, last up for the week is Run with the Wind, where we're finally approaching the Hakone Ekiden. Oh, God. And, again, this series does a really good job of, like, uh, knowing the tropes of a ser- of the sport genre and kind of playing around with them. Because this whole episode, I was worried that Haiji was not going to be able to run. And that's, and that's what the series would lead you to believe. I was not expecting Shindo to not be able to run, of all yeah, people. Yeah, he, he suddenly got sick. I mean, it's not suddenly. They'd kind of been building up to maybe he was overworking himself and stuff like that. Like, they were worrying. It's like, are you getting enough sleep? Oh, yeah. And he's like, this this much is fine for me. Yeah, exactly. And so, if he'd been overworking himself, it's no surprise that he got sick. At the same time, I wasn't expecting it. They kind of put more emphasis on Hygie's leg. And kind kind of pointed you more into that direction. Which, that also still might be an issue. I'm assuming it probably will be during the race. I hope not. Because, well, it's probably going to uh, kick in during, like, the the, fi- the finale moment. Because Haiji's uh, supposed to be the, the anchor for the team. Yeah, he's the one finishing the race. Which, that was a really cool scene when Haiji's announcing, like, all the sections that everybody's doing. Mm-hmm. And why they're good at it. Yeah, uh, that was... It just shows how perceptive he is. More. Yeah. Like, even Prince, like... Like, even though he's the slowest runner out of all of them, he's the one starting them off. Because yeah, he's the best at staying calm in tense situations. Yeah, which, when all eyes are on you at the very beginning, that's you kind of need somebody like that. It was just a, a cool little bit there. And then it seemed like uh, Joji and Jota, they were just kind of placated because, I, I mean, yeah, they're good runners, but they also mentioned how much they liked the C part of the, mm-hmm. of the race. So, and, and, of course, they'd probably want to be... I don't think they'd be happy if they weren't handing off the baton to each other at one point in the race. Yeah, I they're probably happy about that. Yeah, that's a good point too. Like I, I didn't even considered that, but I think that it's hilarious as well because like the two of them, like while they kind of came to a little bit of an understanding, there's still a little bit more of a um, uh, of unresolved business between them because Hana tried to interject as like, don't hey, don't you want him to do the mountains of Akone <laughs> the cheer but, yeah exactly and like don't don't you say it gets you fired up every time you hear it <laughs> yeah hana's such a good girl yeah, they even like they even say that like nico says that like hana's such a good girl like we don't deserve her yeah <laughs> but then of course Haiji just doesn't play along with it like he just goes oh it cheers you up that it cheers you <laughs> up that much does <laughs> it <laughs> smug Haiji. damn it Haiji. They put, uh, what was it? I think it was Shindo was scheduled for, like, the uphill Yeah, which, again, part. which, again, makes sense, because that's what he's used to. Yeah. And uh, Yuki is good for the downhill segment, because his, as he said, his, uh, his center of gravity and his core strength are the best among the group. Which, again, super cool that Haiji was able to figure out all this. Yeah, he's been watching everybody so much. For, like, what, six months, they said? Yeah. It was something like that. It was a long time. Oh, and he specifically put Kakeru in the spot that he thought, um... Fujioka. Fujioka is gonna run in, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, a little bit of a... about Fujioka this episode. It's cool that Fujioka is serving not... is 
kind of like a mentor to Kakuru in a way, because like, and also like something for him to aspire to, because not only does he want him, not only does Kakuru want to be like as fast as Fujioka, he wants to be as strong as Fujioka is, like just how down to earth and centered he is, like in kind of realizing the whole, uh, it's like, oh, that when those guys were trash talking Musa, Musa, those are just the words of amateurs, like don't let it distract you. Like, because Kakuru, as we've seen time and time again, has a very difficult time keeping his cool in stressful situations. Yeah. And I think that Kakuru, that's just something that Kakuru is aiming for. Not just to be as fast as Fujioka, but to be as good of a person as Fujioka is. It's a nice little um, theme for him, I guess. Like, something to strive for. But this episode was kind of sucky when we finally realized, oh yeah, by the way, uh, Shindo's sick. Yeah. And they made such a big deal about it. It's like, if even one of you is not able to make it, you're done, pretty much. Yeah, I like, don't know. We need they... every single person that we can get. They can't just bring a sub in either. Cause I don't you have think to have, so. You have to have the, the record. Yeah, exactly. Of being, able, being allowed to run. And then I think they probably registered those specific people. So it's either they're not going to be able to do it, or Shindo's just going to have to like Power. deal with it. Yeah, which is going to suck big And time. he's on the uphill part. Yeah, so that's gonna make <laughs> so that's going to make him falter. Because... The thing about Haiji is he may not be, like, aiming for actually winning the Hakone Ekiden, but what he wants to do is get them seeded, which is basically getting them more recognition for the and their team more recognition for the next race. I, he basically wants to give people, I think, uh, more of a reason to join Kansa University's track team. No, he he's definitely, like, this plan he made is to win. Hmm. He's specifically planning everyone to win, because he, when he's talking to... Joji and Jotai saying, I'm I'm gonna show you what the top is. Mm, uh, maybe. Like, I promise I'm gonna show you the top. I don't necessarily, you know, know if they're gonna win. I don't think they are actually. I don't think they're gonna uh, we said I, that before already, but uh, I, I think Haiji definitely thinks they have a shot. I don't think that they're going to win the race. I think that I think that he that Haiji also might be planning more long term. Like I think that his biggest concern is like, yeah, he wants to like he wants to approach it like, yes, we can win this. We're certainly going to try our hardest to win this, but I think his goal lies with trying to get more people to join the uh, the Kansei track team. No, his goal is to find out what the meaning of running is. Maybe. I, I don't think he's super concerned with the future outside of this current team. But, uh, the coach probably is. But you know, like we haven't really got any information of what you're saying. We haven't really got any... I don't know. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just looking. Maybe I'm just looking at. I think because he pointed out that uh, during that whole conversation that he did want to get them all seated. Which if they're seat if they're seated in the Hakone Ekiden, that's a big deal. That's going to draw people in one way or another. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good point. I guess for that because yeah, seated wouldn't be for him. Yeah. Or some. I think some of the people are going to graduate this yeah. year. Haiji is one of them that's going yeah. to graduate. Haiji, Yuki, and uh, Nico. Are so yeah, all... I guess he is looking looking. To help the next year of students yeah. that way. I think that he's probably... And if I'm... If this is any indication, I think that Kakuru would be the one to um, be the... Uh, be like the captain of the running team if they actually continue. Because he's still a freshman. Agreed, yeah. He, he would definitely be the person to take over next. I'm, which might rub people the wrong way a little bit. Because he's like a second year. And there would probably be people who are above him. Yeah, probably. But at the same time... 
It's like, are you really gonna are you really gonna argue with the uh, judgment of somebody who managed to get a seated team in the Hakone Ekiden? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like you're not real, and it's like this is one of and somebody who is probably integral in figuring that all out and getting that happening. So I want to point out that last episode, I was thinking uh, like they're not gonna win. Like there's no way they're gonna win. It's just gonna be more about the journey. Uh, the writer's doing a really good job of getting my hopes up and that's upsetting me a little bit yeah i know i'm like i I was already like settled in like oh it's fine they're gonna they're gonna try their best but they're not gonna win and now i'm thinking like well maybe they might win yeah maybe maybe so they're gonna haiji's gonna pull something out of his ass and and they're gonna end up winning so i'm like okay i was ready for disappointment all right i was i was ready to not be disappointed but now i'm gonna be disappointed because now you're getting my goddamn hopes up (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think that either way, like, if something does happen to them, and if they don't win, I'm still going to be disappointed, because I am getting my hopes up, too. Like, I want them to win. I think that they, like, as you said, the way that Haiji was worded it and everything, he might actually think they have a shot at winning. Mm-hmm. But, at the same time, I just think the dif- the difference in their skill is just much too great. Like, Prince is not a good runner. Like, well... Okay, that's not entirely... He's a good runner. He is, but he's definitely nowhere near the nowhere near the level that some yeah. other people are. Everyone on the team is a good runner. At this point, yeah. especially when we see the leaps and bounds that Prince has made at this point. Yeah. Every, the leap and bound everyone's made. Yeah. Like, like Prince actually being able to run properly, King having a proper running stance, and... Musa being more confident with himself, Nico yeah. quitting smoking, Yuki actually enjoying running... Oh yeah, that was another thing. We got a um, uh, we got a little bit of a bonding moment between Yuki and Kakuru actually, <laughs> yeah. over their mi- mutual dislike of their parents. Yeah, because that was the other big thing. Uh, Shady, because Shady newspaper reporter finally made his move. Like I've been wondering what he's been planning this whole time. He was, oh yeah, there's a whole article about Kakuru hitting his past. Yeah, and hitting his coach. But which, but Haiji and uh, the and and their coach were able just to be like, sorry about that. Yeah. It's... We're moving on from the from that or whatever. Exactly. They they were able to put damage control on it well, which makes me wonder, is that going to play a bigger thing later, or is that just a one-time deal? I don't think it's going to be. Yeah, I don't think it'll be. Later on. I think the big, the big struggle in the next episode or, or two episodes is going to be uh, the race, like Shindo being sick, Haiji, Haiji's knee probably near yeah. the end. Which, oh man... I'm getting super nervous about this, yeah. and I've been, like, we've been watching this for, for what, 18, 19 episodes now? Yeah, it's been a journey. Yeah, it, it really has been. Like, it's gonna be sad to watch this series go. Like, really, I'm gonna, I'm really gonna be upset when it finally does go, because this has been a really good sports show. That's gonna wrap it up for this week of the Time Sync Anime Podcasts. Um, so just keep... If you guys like this video, like, comment, keep the like, keep the discussion going. Figure out. Yeah, if you guys have any like uh, opinions about you know all the shows we've been talking about this week, uh, like we, we like engaging uh, yeah. with 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 the, with the community. That's like we said before. That's the our faith. That's why we started this podcast. Yeah, to exactly. talk to other people about anime. Yep, and it's been it has been really fun doing that. We hope that you guys have uh, maybe some things that we didn't notice or and want to talk about or even point out because yeah, this has been. This has been a really good season so far. Like, just, I'm looking forward to the finales of all these shows this season. Yeah, it's only a few more weeks to go. Yeah, only a few more weeks. And like, comment, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Just keep following. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Away Anchor. See you next time.